Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Well, sort of an Arsecast, not really. It is an Arsecast in the sense that it's a podcast about Arsenal and it's going out on the main Arseblog Arsecast feed. However, because of the week that's in it with Christmas and trying to spend some time with family here at home, etc., etc., and also just trying to chill out a very small bit at this point of the year, um, doing an Arsecast and then a preview podcast on Patreon didn't make a lot of sense. So what I'm doing is I'm putting out on the main feed the Patreon preview podcast that myself and Lewis Ambrose recorded. We do one of these before every single Premier League game. So if you're not a member on Patreon, you want to sign up, you can do that, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. So that's what this podcast is going to be. It is going to be the preview podcast that normally goes out on Patreon, but it is free for everybody. And then next week, things are just basically back to normal. Uh, regular Arsecast on a Friday, Arsecast Extra on a Monday, preview podcasts and other podcasts, etc. on Patreon. So that's what's going to happen. I will be back at the end with a, a few words just to finish things out. But right now, here is the preview podcast that goes out on Patreon, theme tune and everything. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Premier League preview podcast exclusively for you guys here on Patreon, except it's not exclusive for Patreon because we're going to make it free for everybody. As always, with Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Andrew. How good, are you? Um, good well, afternoon. Good yeah, afternoon. I'm all right, thanks. Good. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, uh, you know, looking forward to 2022, I have to say. Be fairly glad to see the back of 2021. Gotta say, yeah. Didn't didn't we all say this last year as well? We, we did, we did. And I'm not yeah. tempting fate or anything like that. Uh, but you know, I do hope that 2022 is uh, an awful lot better than 2021. We're sitting here, um, getting ready for a game against Manchester City, and we're recording this on Thursday. And I think because of everything that's going on, normally um, we put the Arse cast out on a Friday. I think I'm just going to put it out pretty much as soon as we finished recording because situations are fluid and ongoing regarding COVID and positive tests and everything else. And it was quite funny because we talked on the last preview podcast about managers um, missing games mm. because of COVID-19. And literally the next day, we heard that Mikel Arteta has tested positive for COVID-19 and will miss the game against Manchester City, which uh, is far from ideal. Yeah, and um, I think probably 
we obviously see a lot more of Mikel Arteta than we do of anybody else in the league. But I would say he's probably the the most active or definitely one of the most active coaches pitch side during a game as well. It does mm. feel still even sort of two years after he took over, like he coaches the team through games, which at times has maybe looked a bit of annoying or a bit annoying or a mm. bit of a, a hindrance. Um, but we've been winning lately, so you start to think, oh, well, there's probably something in it. I noticed you the other, you'd written, I think, was it was that day that it was announced that about Ben White and, and Mikel Arteta yeah. just having words yeah. with him um, on the touchline halfway through the Norwich game. And yeah, it, it's obviously annoying. And if there was, I don't know, where, where do you stand on if there was a game you could, like the worst game for him to miss? Is it this one? Because... We need as much to sort of fall our way as possible, mm. or you're a bit more like ah, but it's Man City, so maybe it doesn't matter as much if he misses this one because we've been battered in these games when he's been on the side of the pitch yeah. anyway. That is a tough one because yeah, I mean that aspect of the sort of hands-on management, the micromanagement from the sideline. It's really easy to get frustrated by that when things don't go well. Um, but nobody talks about it when we do win, and he's still the same, you know? Um, but uh, with regards to this game, it's difficult to know. It's difficult to know. We, we, we've we spoken before about his tendency to maybe overthink when he's playing Manchester City because of mm. his connection with Pep Guardiola and, and trying to outfox him or outsmart him or do something that, that he doesn't expect. Um Whereas maybe the best thing to do is just, you know, put out your best team and and, and see how they go. So I, do, I don't quite know. Um, I mean, look, he will be in communication with the bench. Um, we assume he is going to have people in the stands watching the game. There's going to be people feeding back to him. If he's stuck at home watching on TV... Um, you know, maybe there are things that he's not going to be able to see or respond to, which I think makes it a little bit different and a little bit difficult. But but let's leave the match day aspect to it uh, of it to one side. But there's also the the preparation and the organisation and the game plan, and particularly in the couple of days before you play. And Arsenal have had a couple of extra days, of course, to to get ready for this game. Manchester City played on the 29th. Um, we were supposed to play in the 28th, but our game against Wolves, of course, was postponed. So these couple of extra days could have been really, really useful from a preparation, organization, tactical perspective. You know, Man City have got this, this huge, deep, massively talented squad and I think they're well able to cope with the schedule but the fact that we might have a couple of extra days we were bemoaning the fact that Wolves might have 10 days and we'd have two I I think it might have been an opportunity for Mikel Arteta to really get his team if not into a, a position where it could go into this game confident of winning but confident of being competitive that's that's the thing that interests me a little bit, I think, um, with with him missing the game, is, you know, we've seen interviews before, I think a, a big interview that I saw with mm. Steve Round last year, yeah, and coaches being asked, and, co- you know, coaches in the current Arsenal setup to being asked what a week looks like or what, or what a day looks like, and it's those, it is those last two days or so before the game that they actually go through okay what are we doing specific for for this opposition and obviously our plans have probably been changed a little bit as they were anyway because we didn't have the Wolves game so the training's been stretched out 
if Mikel Arteta and Steve Round and and Albert um, Stoivenberg have sort of sat down and planned the week out already, mm. then you'd think that the training session today, the training session tomorrow, the day before the City game will look exactly the same basically anyway. He won't be there for particular details, but you would think that they'll look the same. We know we have the drones, Andrew. So oh, yeah, maybe he can, be, he can be watching from home and giving instructions if he if he feels up to it. Uh, I find it very hard to imagine that he'll be hands off even, you know, even yeah. though he won't be there in person. Um, I don't think there's any doubt what will be in Stoivenberg's AirPods when he's on the touchline on New Year's Day. Mm. It would just be Mikel Arteta screaming at him from, from home, wherever he's watching it. So... I don't think he'll be hands off and I don't think that the plan, like the training these last couple of days going into the game, things like that, the the analysis, the clips that the players have shown of certain things that they expect from Manchester City. Yeah. I don't think any of that should change really. Um, yeah. It'll obviously just be a, Mikel Arteta won't be the one and it will be someone else having to deliver that message in a way that makes it you know clear and, and digestible for the players and that's probably the trick to management that assistant coaches don't really get to practice very yeah. often I mean there is some talk as well that Steve Round might be missing too um, uh, Sam Dean wrote a, a piece in the Telegraph talking about a skeleton coaching crew uh, for this particular game so we don't know as yet how many people are affected certainly some backroom staff I'm, I'm told are uh, impacted as well but you know when you talk about that when you talk about the preparation and, and the plans and look you can write it out you can put it down the coaches can go and do the coaching but I get the sense uh, that there is probably you know when you're on the training ground when you're preparing a team for a game there's got to be um, a little bit of head and a little bit of heart as well in terms of how you come to make certain decisions about your starting 11. Like, I don't think there's too many issues for Mikel Arteta to really think about, but maybe, let's say, this week, Emile Smith-Rowe is looking particularly sharp and Gabriel Martinelli might not be quite as sharp. And if you're thinking, well, maybe against Man City, we could have a change and we can use Martinelli from the bench. We know he can do it from the bench as well. Being there on the training ground and seeing that and just seeing the way the players are responding to the instructions, responding to the sessions, who's executing this better than that person, and so on, you know, you're you're missing that. Um, like you say, though, I mean, because it's a game against Man City, maybe it's less important, even though, you know, we need to move past this acceptance that what happens against Man City is sort of written in stone already. Um, yeah. Look, I, I get it. Um, they are a very good team. They're top of the league. It looks like they're going to be champions again. But at the same time, we do need to make a, a better account of ourselves in, in games like this. So it's finding that balance between how you prepare the team and what decisions you make with just not being there and not being around. Is, is there not every chance as well that we've complained before, and I think all pretty much all Arsenal fans, um, that thing that you mentioned of trying to out Fox Guardiola or mm. be so in so much in Guardiola's head that he knows what he's going to do so he can try and find a, an unusual way to undo it or to to threaten Man City do you, maybe you know Willian up front and, and the five at the back at the start mm. of this season possibly Mikel Arteta not being there will will mean that these things are simplified a little bit more and those little loopholes that we don't try and find them and exploit them in, in unusual ways. I mean, 
I think winning games anyway means that we might have just gone into this game like that regardless because we've been playing well and we have been winning matches. But surely if there was ever a time to sort of uh, dumb it down or, or just stick, stick to with what you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then just simplify things, it's going to be when Arteta's not there to talk the players through the game and, you know, a few words before the game, extra, a few words at half time, and obviously then coaching them through the entire game as well. So if ever we were going to sort of just play our game and play the way we have been playing against Manchester City, I think this will be the time. Yeah, maybe the last thing that Pep Guardiola expects is for Mikel Arteta to do the most Just obvious what thing. Always, what he did against Norwich. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't know yet what sort of team news there might be, but obviously there are uh, and have been some players ruled out with COVID. Maitland-Niles, Pablo Marie, who was back on the bench, I think. You know, we do have some issues. Uh, I find it hard. Well, not that I find it hard, but I do wonder if because of the just the general close contact that Mikel Arteta will have had with his staff and his players and all of that, if there might be some some more positive cases in our squad. And it's not like we haven't had any. I think we've had six or seven players with COVID over the last couple of weeks, and we haven't complained about it. I've seen other coaches complain. I've seen other coaches bemoan the fact that games have gone ahead despite the fact they've had COVID cases. Ours have been a little bit spread out, but we've kind of just gotten on with it. And I think we've been able to cope because of some of the players who have been um, uh, afflicted. But I wonder what it would be like if, you know, on Friday, it turns out that Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli and Thomas Partey, for example, you know, test positive, that that would really change things, obviously. I hope that doesn't happen, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it, it is, yeah, as long it, as it's, it's got to be a fear. As long as it's Cedric and Chambers, no one's and, obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah, no one's kicked up a fuss, um, even though it is sort of weirdly concentrated in one position and it meant that Ben White had to move across the defence mm. um, on Boxing Day. Yeah, when those players have already been infected and Arteta, there's obviously something going through the squad and it's hard not to think that more might not be affected. You just have to cross our fingers, I guess, that it isn't those players that you mentioned, that it isn't anyone that we're really leaning on to perform. (sighs) And hopefully, and I don't know, just hope that maybe if there was something else, if there were more players that this was going to sort of spread to than we would have heard about it by now. But obviously it it can change from well from one test to the next I think the players have to test every single day now so just literally from one day to the next uh, you could suddenly lose three or four players hopefully that's not the case and and if it is the case if there are any more injuries then I don't know I don't is it possible this game still gets called off at some point I suppose well, it is it, it is it's not beyond the realms of possibility that's for sure which is kind of why I want to get this podcast out as soon as we finish recording <laughs> because look it's it's a very um, is it a fluid situation is that what you would say it's just sort of thinking Things can happen and things can develop very quickly whereby you think you're all right and then when you look at it, you're not. Um, and like you say, the players are being tested every day. They're trying as much as possible to operate within an environment which protects them um, uh, as much as they can, but they also live in the real world and they you know, they have um, friends and families and parents and children and all of those kind of things. And those interactions obviously raise the risk. Uh, And then when the manager and the assistant manager 
um, appear to have been afflicted, then, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I hope it's not the case, and I hope everybody is fit and healthy um, as much as possible, but but we just don't know at this point. Um, let's assume that the players we have for this weekend's game are the players that we had for um, the game against... Uh, what was our last game? Leeds? Norwich. Norwich, of course. Uh, do you make any change to that team? Is there... I mean, I, I would assume, let's say, if if Tommy Asu is available, you bring Tommy Asu back, uh, uh, right back, move Ben White into centre half, and then pretty much everything stays the same. The only other question is, can you get Emil Smith-Rowe into the team? And if so, who do you play him uh, in place of? Yeah, that is the the obvious one or the only one other than Tomiyasu that that one sort of solves itself either Tomiyasu is yeah. available and he plays or he's not and he doesn't and then I guess we see Rob Holding at, at centre back again Smith Rowe's an interesting one uh, I don't know there's always that little thing about a super sub moniker isn't there where mm. you sort of the curse of being the super sub is that you continue to not get into the starting lineup because you're so effective from the bench. I agree, I agree with what you said at the top that you know it's sort of a toss up between him and Gabriel Martinelli, and I think we even got um, we, a question on Twitter, but um, but it was something else that someone someone else said to me last week. I can't remember um, about you know is the way to get Smith-Rowe into this team to play him up front in this sort of Lacazette dropping into midfield role. We've obviously had Emil Smith-Rowe play up front in an important game once and mm. nobody ever at the time ever wanted to see it ever again. Yeah. Um, but now we've got a front four where three of them are very exciting young players and we have a fourth very exciting young player who isn't in the front four at the moment that's been starting these games so obviously the way to squeeze him in without dropping any of them might be to take Alex Lacazette out uh, I, I can't. I, I would be stunned if Lacazette didn't play. Um, but, but, but wouldn't the obvious way of doing it for this particular game be if you're going to take Lacazette out and put Emile Smith-Rowe in or put Smith-Rowe in you could put him in for Lacazette and you could play Martinelli as the centre forward, because let's be realistic about how this game is going to go and how it's going to play out. What Lacazette does and has done against teams like Southampton, like Leeds, like um, Norwich the other day, is drop very deep. And he plays basically, when you look at his average position or certainly where he's receiving the ball and delivering the ball, he's playing as a midfielder. So is that going to be as useful Against a team like Manchester City, who we imagine uh, are going, or who we know, in fairness from experience, are going to have a lot of the ball, who are going to make us um, play a lot of the game without the ball in our own half in a very compact shape. So that sort of hold-up, link-up thing that Lacazette has been doing maybe not quite as useful when we do have the ball as having an outlet or having the ability to spring with somebody with pace, I'm not saying the ball over the top or counter-attack is, is uh, the exact way to go, but it strikes me that that might be a way of maximizing our chances of hurting Manchester City when we do have the ball, rather than when we get it, we're squeezed by 
City's press and Lacazette is dropping in between Shaka, between Partey, and we have literally no way of getting out beyond the wide men. Whereas if you play Martinelli up front, it's possible that you could uh, use him and use his pace and his uh, athletic ability to stretch them a bit with some quick passes from the back. I think it's it's always a balance, isn't it, between these mm. things. And we, you're right, we're going to come up against a team, they are going to dominate the ball. We don't come up against that very often where we have less possession or a lot less possession mm. than the other team. Um, only when we're a goal up away from home, generally. <laughs> um, well, not even that in the last few week games. I, it's that balance between making sure you have that threat off the ball and also making sure you don't just give the ball straight back to them nine times out of ten when you do win. Like, I do yeah. think the striker, if it's, and I, I'm, I'm assuming that it'll be Lacazette, they're gonna, the ball's going to have to stick with whoever plays up front because you're going to need time for two or three others to get around them. Um, and not just up front, but the ball's going to have to stick when it goes out wide. It's going to have to stick in midfield. Otherwise, we're spending 90 minutes, you know, other than the one or two that maybe bounce for us when we do get rid of the ball. Uh, we're going to be spending 90 minutes in, inside our own box, if not our own, well, our own third, definitely, and, and probably camped on the edge of our own box. So I don't think the lack of set coming into midfield thing is, is a bad thing. I, I don't think at all because it'll, it should drag the defenders out and then give someone like Martinelli that space, Saka, Smith-Rowe, when he gets on the pitch, that space to sort of burst through and exploit those little gaps that mm. get left. The question will be, does Lacazette temper how much he does it? Like, does he drop not quite as deep or has, does he drop deep just sometimes? I think it's it's a, it's a good thing. It's an effective thing. It's something that's really worked for us the last few weeks. Uh, there, there needs to be more of a balance to it. He does it well, but then he's, we talked about the other day, he's not on the end of things. Yeah. As long as Martinelli's getting in position, if Kieran Tierney's coming outside him, then we've not suffered as a result so far. But I think in this game especially, Lacazette, it needs to not be so extreme because otherwise you do it. And the whole point is that it's unpredictable and you're dragging players out of position. Mm. But if you just do it to an ex to such an extreme extent and you do it over and over again, well, then it is predictable. You're just in a slightly different position to you know where you'd actually be expected to be as a striker. I think it's I think it's been crucial for Martinelli to be playing out wide and have the 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 centre forward in Lacazette dragging defenders out and, and distracting them and dropping deep for the ball and Martinelli not being in the middle but then arriving in the middle. Mm. Um I mean do you think Manchester I, I, I City's defenders to move him? Yeah, do you think Manchester City's defenders are going to get dragged out of position by Lacazette because that's surely, like if if Mikel Arteta does um, do the obvious thing and does stick with what's worked and what has worked really well in the last couple of weeks, you know, how well it can work against Man City versus how well it can work against teams that are in the, in the bottom half of the table is another question, of course, and he may want to tweak something. He may feel like he needs to tweak something, but, you know, that would be surely one of the things that Manchester City will be... Um, very well aware of is like this is what Lacazette is going to do I think they'd be quite happy for Lacazette to drop in and they'd pay attention more to Martinelli or pay attention to the space in behind than what Lacazette is going to do because as tidy as he's been he's not going to do too much with the ball other than lay it off to somebody else and maybe we can build from that etc etc so I don't know just maybe something that provides a little bit of variation this might be his 
ace in the hole, if you like. This might be his little galaxy brain thing. I, d- I don't know. I'm just trying to think of ways that we can, A, get Smith Rowe into the team because I really want to see him back in the side. And the idea of Smith Rowe, Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, I, I kind of find it quite exciting, even if it would be a bit of a gamble against Manchester City. But then I think everything is. Everything is. You're up against the odds anyway, so you might as well roll the dice at some point. Um, I I wouldn't be against seeing it. Uh, maybe it's the first sub or something like that. Right. Uh, I, but, but I think we we talk so, well. We've we've had so much the last couple of years. Like we've been bad, and we sort of go into these games expecting to lose. We're going to a lot of games not expecting to win. I mean, even the last couple of games, Norwich away, Leeds away. The games that we've dropped points the last couple of seasons, West Ham at home. It's those sort of fixtures. We've been playing really well in those games and I'd be interested to see us back to the old Arsene Wenger thing of not changing anything even though the opponents might be really, really good. I'd be interested to see us stick with what has been working and Mm. sort of test ourselves and see how good that is against the best team in the country. Um, And knowing as well that you've got the the option for change, you've got Smith-Rowe or Martinelli, whoever, on the bench. Uh, Eddie Nketiah, I guess, is on the bench as well. So I'm not against sticking with what has been working, but being open to sort of an early change. And and the thing I'm looking for from this game is that it's not over early and that we don't go behind really early, um, which we've made a horrible habit of doing against, I mean, against Liverpool at times, but against City especially. And either going behind early against Chelsea as well this season either behind early or when we go behind it quickly becomes two or three I want you know we got we played quite well at Anfield for 35-40 minutes this season like let's get to half time and we're like really in the game and let's get be- and then after that let's get beyond that and like really be in the game still even Brentford last night who City beat fairly comfortably in the end even though it was only 1-0 but it was only 1-0. They were still in that game mm. and it, we lost 1-0 to City at home last season, but you never had that feeling that we were still in it, that you know they had everything quite under control. We only and, we and lost 1-0 away. We, lo- we only lost 1-0 away as well. It was um, Raheem Sterling <laughs> did us twice last season. Uh, the City, the, the away game he scored after 23 minutes. The home game, uh, he scored that header, which, you, you know, how you let five foot, six five foot seven Raheem Sterling score a header as easily as that is just is crazy but you know those two games they were only one nil but like you say there was never any real sense that that City didn't have control that they could if they wanted just sort of go up a gear and they are like they are obviously they've won 10 games in a row now coming into this one they are obviously amazing uh, but the idea that you, that we've got no threat and that they're playing one nil up in those two games for most of the game and the second half especially they're playing one nil up like they're three nil up and we're playing like they're three nil up as well and that's what I I mean it's and it's obviously easier said than done otherwise other teams would be able to take any points off them at all um, but that's what I'd like to see and I'm hoping the difference you know between the last times that we've played them um, or the last time we played them at home anyway is that we've got 60,000 in the stadium now and mm. it, it does make a difference it makes a massive difference and you know, maybe times when we've been 1-0 down against them and been afraid of letting in the second goal 
the crowd won't let the players get away with that this time. Like they'll be screaming at them if we're a goal down to to go for the second goal or or to go for an equaliser. Sorry, yeah. and sort of throw caution to the wind. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't find ourselves a goal down at all. But if we do, I want to at least see a different response to that than the one we've become used to against them. Mm. Is there any point in talking about? Manchester City, you know what they what they do. I mean, they played Brentford um, last night, one one nil. They left Gundogan, Sterling, and Mares on the bench, so you assume that they're being kept relatively fresh for for our game. Those are players who who have hurt us and who possess a, a great deal of threat, but we kind of know what they are and what they do, and they'll suffocate you and they'll pass you to death, and it's relentless and it's, uh, it's just so, so difficult to deal with. You know, does the fact that they played on Wednesday, then they're playing again on Saturday – does that make any real difference? I mean, we we think about condensed schedules, but Wednesday to Saturday, it's not really any different than playing Champions League game and then playing again at the weekend. And City, as we know, have a squad that is really deep, uh, full of quality. They can make changes. They can maintain the way that they play, regardless of who comes in, who comes out. The parts are kind of interchangeable so it feels a little bit redundant to talk about what they uh, or what way they might approach this game because we essentially know what they will try and do yeah I think the fatigue thing is not something they'll be that worried about like you said Gundogan Mahrez didn't play um I think they changed the whole front three uh, between, or I think Bernardo Silva played played in midfield yesterday, but played up front against um, against Leicester on Boxing Day. But mm. Sterling, Mares, Foden, um, Gabriel Jesus, all of those have only played one of or started one of those two games. So that isn't a, a massive worry. The question for me is if Kyle Walker's available and if. Who, who, who hasn't played and if Rodri's available who hasn't played and if not you've got sort of an mm. ageing Fernandinho um, in midfield you've got Cancelo who's excellent but playing on, on the right instead of the left and Zinchenko playing at left back instead of him if Kyle Walker's out mm. I mean, if those two players are out I think that's that's cause for optimism uh, Rodri especially I think has been brilliant this season just sort of holding everything down in midfield exactly what you'd want from your sort of deepest midfielder in, in a team that, that keeps the ball and can be open to counter-attacks at times and that sort of thing he's turned into mm. like, I don't th- I didn't think his first year in England uh, that, that he had it in him to become as good and as important that, as he has become for them so uh, you know, th- there, there are there are places to get at them there, there always are with any team if there's a couple of players missing, then hopefully that can play into our hands. Fernandinho is, what, 36? And mm. if Rodri can't play, it's a, a third start in a week for him, which it has got to take a toll on the legs at some point, you'd think. So there are places, there are reasons that we can think that we can get at them. Uh, it will be a question of, you know, how well we do that. I think, I, I guess Sterling will play. He has it's sort of been on and off this season. Um, but him and Mares both not playing against against Brentford. I think they'll both play against us. And you know, 
just don't and we said it so many times we said it against Liverpool and we've said it against City before like just if make them work if they're going to have to if they're going to score a goal they have to score the goal you don't gift them anything yeah. don't no Raheem Sterling headers two minutes in no Ben White slipping over or charging in and, and letting Jota dribble past him and no Nuno Tavares squaring it for one yeah. of their players to go through on goal like Make City score a goal and uh, don't gift wrap it. And that's the, the least that I think we can expect and, and ask for. Yeah, because we we have had an issue with the so-called big games uh, this season. You know, we, we said much the same about the Liverpool game, about making them work for it. And we didn't really. I mean, at halftime it was okay, but then it wasn't. And when it wasn't, it really wasn't. <laughs> um, you know, Manchester United... You know, I don't think we deserved to lose, but when you do some of the things that we did, you know, particularly giving a penalty away the way that we did and and the Tavares thing, as you mentioned, you know, when you make mistakes like that, you're always going to get punished. And, you know, that might speak to a, a psychological issue for the team. We don't quite know, but at some point, well, I, you know, it, it's trying to figure out, like, how much does it matter if you lose to Man City. Like, I don't want to lose to Man City. I don't think we should go into any game as Arsenal Football Club saying, well, we're going to lose this. Let's just get it out of the way and move on to the next one and, and beat the opposition that we're more capable of beating. That is a sort of defeatist attitude, even if it's tinged with a measure of realism because of uh, the, the, the gulf that exists between the two teams and their quality and their maturity and their development and all of those kind of things. So it's it's... How, how a game like this is going to make you feel if it doesn't go our way um, in what is looking like a, a tricky enough month when it comes to the fixtures and the opposition because they're games that mean something. You know, Liverpool, I think, will rotate quite a bit for their EFL Cup games, but then there's a North London derby and, you know, winning that makes you feel brilliant. Losing it makes you feel terrible and, and see all the worst aspects of everything that there is to see. But maybe City sits outside that. I don't know. But like, I, I think we could take encouragement from a game where we really, really make Man City work for any points and any goals that they get. And that would be in some way a little bit of progress on top of the other progress that we've seen this uh, season, which is doing what we did to Norwich, doing what we did to Leeds and, and so on. And this is the whole point, right? We need, we want to compete in these games. We want to, we, 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 I think a little bit surprisingly um, in sitting in fourth, uh, we, because we want to be in the Champions League again, because we want to invite Barcelona or Real Madrid, well, Barcelona nowadays, but you know Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and whoever to the Emirates, and we want to beat them, and we want to compete with them and play against these teams, um, you know, Inter mm. or Juventus or whoever. It's only going to start, or it's only ever. We're only going to get, actually get there at some point. We have to compete against Man City. We have to compete against Liverpool and, and more against Chelsea than we did at the start of the season because those are the games that we're trying to win these games to play more of uh, yeah, I think yeah. it is a little bit of a free hit and I, we've thrown that term around a few times but we didn't this team did respond after losing at Anfield they did respond after I mean Old Trafford and, and Everton if you put those two together in the space of a few days so the team has responded a few times they can take a defeat and you know not get knocked out but imagine the rest of the league or the 
the few teams behind us, West Ham, Spurs, United, all trying to chase us for that fourth place at the moment. They've got games in hand, but we have the points on the board. Mm. They'll all be looking at this game, hoping that, well, you know, well, yeah, we're this points behind and this game's in hand, but, oh, Arsenal playing City this weekend. So, well, like, fuck that. Like, if we take a point off City, if we can manage to beat City, um, I think that just psychologically, it's a massive blow to those other three teams trying to catch us up as well. Yeah, I mean, even just not losing, every point is absolutely valuable. Um, You know, particularly points at home as well. And we do have a good home record and um, it's been good at the Emirates so far this season. So let's hope... Let's hope we can turn up and do some business against City. Um, and uh, yeah, look, if we can take something, I think you're right. There is a huge confidence boost there. This is a, a team which is growing and which seems to have uh, clicked over the last little while. And um, I, I've always been of the opinion that there are going to be um, some setbacks, some bumps on this particular road. But if we can sort of go around the speed bump on this one and, and get something, it really would be. It, it puts some pressure on some of the other teams as well. You know, it makes a bit yep. of a statement. I, and that's why, I, I think that's why, in particular, what happened at Manchester United was so disappointing because it was a chance to make a little bit of a statement. It's not like, you know, a huge thing, but just, okay, you're not going to beat us. We're going to go to your place and we are not going to lose. Unfortunately, we contrive to lose in, in pretty frustrating circumstances, which is, you know, one of those things which we have done as a football club a bit too often. And, and we all want to see the back of that. So I hope we see the back of that uh, against Man City. Anything more on this particular game you want to say before we move on to a very quick final bit? No, let's let's move on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So it is the end of 2021. I just thought we might do a couple of little things based on the calendar year. I know how how much everybody loves the calendar year um, approach to viewing football. I think I read somewhere that only Liverpool... Have won more points than us in no. I think Liverpool City? have City and Chelsea. I think, but Liverpool have just one point more than us. Ah, that's what, what I saw this morning. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense. I was looking at that going, that can't be right. Uh, which is, you know, <laughs> why people love the calendar year stuff because it's just so accurate about everything. But look, 
Who is your player of the year? The player of 2021 in the annual Lewis's Awards. Who are you giving the trophy to? The the inaugural. Um, yeah. I, the, I the inaugural it, Ambroses. Yeah. Um, I, I find it very hard to look beyond a Millsmith row. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, he's just been brilliant. I think if you go back to this time last year, we all kind of hoped that Bukayo Saka would have the 2021 that he's had um, for Arsenal, anyway. Mm. And, and you know, becoming an England regular and stuff. I think we all sort of hoped or believed that that was possible. I don't think anybody thought that Emil Smith Rowe was going to have the 12 months that he's had. Um, based off the the back of, well, I think he just just made that start against Chelsea on. Was it Boxing Day last year? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I find it very difficult to pick anyone else out, I think. You? Yeah. yeah, it's got to be Smith-Rowe. Absolutely has to be Smith-Rowe. Just because of, A, what he did last season. I know people talk about how he transformed our season. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can really say that considering we did finish eighth. Right, But what I think you can say <laughs> is that he made a hugely positive impact on the we team. Were, we were 16th. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just one of those things where, look, it did turn around. Of course, we were on that terrible run in November, December of last year, and he played a huge part in that. So I'm not trying to take anything away from him. It's just when you talk about transforming a season, it tends to yeah. you, you tend to think about it ending in some kind of success, which it didn't. And, you know, an eighth place finish for Arsenal... You know, it's not good enough. We all know that. But the impact he made, the fact that I I wonder if his, if what he did maybe made Mikel Arteta have a think about things in a way. It was very interesting quotes. Did you read the quotes from Per Mertesacker uh, that were in, could have been Kicker or some other German uh, outlet? No, I think as a as a true person of my age, I read the headline and then didn't read any more beyond that. Um, no, it was it was that that was today, was it or yesterday? Yeah, it was. It was out yesterday. No, I, mean, I haven't seen a, it. There's a story on Arsbog News. He was talking about recruitment and things like that. He said uh, we're in a state of upheaval and are building a team capable of development, which should be peppered with players from our own youth and professionals from abroad. In the meantime, we had lost our way. We tried to make the connection to the top faster with costly commitments. We fell on our face with that. So uh, the BFG pulling no punches there. But I also wonder if Smithrow coming in has perhaps, if there was a meeting, let's say, for uh, Mikel Arteta and people were saying, this is what we're going to do this summer. We're going to bring in these young players and we're going to go with youth. We're going to go with... Um, not not kids, but we're going to go with players who have some experience, but have a lot of room for development, a lot of room for potential. You know, I think if you're a manager and you're thinking, I finished eight, I've really got to do better next season, and they're going to bring in a lot of players who are young and coming from, you know, clubs that don't have a great deal of profile. You're talking Sheffield United, you're talking Brighton, you're talking Bologna, with all due respect to those clubs. You know, managers like the finished article, I guess. But I wonder if what Smithrow did went some way to opening Arteta's mind to the idea that you don't need Willians or Louise's, you need Smithrow's and you need Gabriel's and you need White's and you need Tommy Asu's and that kind of thing. So... 
I'd hope so. I think even more than that, like it's easy to say. I mean, both the club and so the club first, but also Mikel Arteta um, in a second. So the club, it's easy to say, yeah, we want to trust youth and go with you know and, and sprinkle academy players through the first team squad. But if the academy players aren't good enough, then you you can't do it. And you know how much would we have to pay to go and find a young player? like Emil Smith-Rowe, like, that's just, it's great work from the academy um, and uh, all the hard work that he's done and overcoming injuries and things like that as well. But it's also just quite serendipitous timing that he's now fit and ready to play every single week and came into the first team and had an instant impact. Mm. It It means, you know, he didn't come in and have a couple of all right games and then maybe pick up a knock and then it easily could have happened that we didn't see him again last season he came in three or four games they they were fine he picked up a knock we signed Odegaard on loan we wouldn't have seen Smithrow again until the end of the season um so mm. there is always a little bit of timing and luck and it's easy to say we want academy players to make it all the way through but if they're not there and ready and good enough then you don't really have a choice you can't just throw them in the team anyway or, or you can but they won't make a difference yeah. and I think this time last year we were all talking about our football being way too slow and ponderous and passes that went sideways and you know, all this talk about trying to score the perfect goal and everything being orchestrated and I feel like um, Smith Rowe is such a natural counterweight against all of that You know, he gets the ball and it's the first touch goes forward and the pass goes forward and the ball goes around the corner and he's constantly moving. And that is such a, you know, players like that can exist in this strict, rigid, whatever you call it, kind of system. And they need to exist in this system. And we just didn't really have anyone. He's sort of the perfect moment for him to, or perfect timing for us and for him that he came into the team and just the way that he plays, not not that it's the right way to play or the wrong way to play, just the way he plays to constantly be putting his foot on the accelerator was exactly what we needed in in that area of the pitch at that time. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it, it's a massive stroke of luck and, and good timing and just perfect for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of him being able to get on the end of scrappy things as well, you know, which is um, maybe something we've missed. And you look at Smith Rowe now, and you know, how much would a player like that cost? How much would somebody like Smith Rowe cost if you wanted to go on the market and get him? It's um, you know, uh, how much did Buendia cost? Uh, Aston oh, Villa, thirty-five, forty million. You yeah, know, I'm not saying like they're that. the same player, but you know similar kind of player and that's 35 40 million pounds and as you know his career so far at Aston Villa has shown you know it's not always easy to produce when you've got the weight of that kind of uh, transfer fee on you so um I think I've got to give a a a sort of runner-up statue to Aaron Ramsdale um, yeah because of everything that he had to, <laughs> to contend with during the summer. I've, I've I spent, you know, the last couple of days watching videos of him. He did video with the the guy from Soccer AM, um, Tubehead or whatever his name is. And um, he there are some clips of a, an upcoming podcast that he does with, with Ben Foster. So the Watford goalkeeper... And he's talking about like the Leeds fans throwing money at him and celebrating against Leicester and all of that kind of stuff. The level of his performances have been brilliant, but also just what he's added to the team. I think 
players like that and players who have some character, when you're trying to not just create a connection between fans and a team, but trying to mend a connection which has been mm-hmm. somewhat broken, he's played such a big part of that. Yeah, he has. And, and to think that he came in amid basically everyone saying that it was too much money and mm. you know, not being sure if he'd go straight into the team and or maybe have to wait for Bert Leno to make a few mistakes to get his chance. He has been pretty much faultless since we signed him in the summer and uh, has looked... Especially at his age, not even worth every penny, but like a bargain. When you think that this could be the Arsenal goalkeeper for the next ten years, and yeah. you think that they've not paid thirty million for a goalkeeper, but they've paid three million per season for the next ten years, then it suddenly starts to look or sound like a much much better deal. And he's yeah, I think there were critics in pretty much every corner, including myself and. Uh, you know, to the idea of signing him and signing him particularly for that fee. Um, and he's made all of that criticism look a bit ridiculous very, very quickly. Mm, he sure has. Okay. Your goal of 2021. <laughs> Can I tell you the goal, the goal that annoyed me the most in 2020? It's not the, often the one your that team we scores scored. a goal. Yeah, it's not often you score a goal when okay, it annoys yeah. you. Go on. Um, but I think you'll appreciate this. But it also could have been, in a regular season, it could have been like a goal of the season contender because Willian's only Arsenal goal was actually really, really good. Um, uh, <laughs> free kick against West Brom. But at the t- Because I think by that time, I was quite hopeful that he would leave in the summer. Um, and it actually annoyed me a little bit that he ended his Arsenal his Arsenal career, his one season at the club with a goal and then there wasn't just a big fat zero in the record books until the end of time, yeah. um, especially in a, in a meaningless game against West Brom that we were already and two goals up in anyway at the time. Wasn't um, uh, wasn't that the one where Arteta, the, the camera cut to Arteta on the bench? <laughs> he looked annoyed. And he's just sitting there going like, oh, I can't, like, where was this? Where was this all season for <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that there was, I I don't know how many times that's ever happened and hopefully never again, that Arsenal would score a goal and it would actually just annoy me a little bit. Um, But yeah, coming the way it did in a completely meaningless match. um, Yeah, I think I had a very similar expression to Mikel Arteta as it went in. Uh, My goal of the season, or goal of the year, sorry. Goal of the year. um, The very first goal of the year was Kieran Tierney away at West Brom. And, um, and and that might be my goal of the year. I think that's, that's there's like there's a, a long goal, passing yeah. move. The, the, both the, both the first two goals in that game is the goal that um, Smith Rowe lays on for Saka. They sort of combine with Lacazette as well that's, outside the box. That was my that was going to be one a, of my picks. Yeah, right. Sorry, that's a brilliant goal. But yeah. the Tierney one, I don't know. There's there's something about Kieran Tierney goals. Um, I've never seen anyone look so consistently furious with the fact that they've just put the ball in the back of the net um, that, like he can't feel pleasure it's just a lot of frustration leaves him whenever he scores uh, and we saw it again at Norwich last week um, there was something about that I don't know in the snow uh, we'd been rubbish for months and then we'd beaten Chelsea and, and I think Brighton and then you wondered if we could win again and it was our first really good performance except Chelsea for, for months and months and months mm. Um 
So I think I'd go all the way back to that and okay. uh, pick, yeah, our very first goal of the year. All right. I think I could be wrong, but I think that was the Tierney goal which sparked the uh, Kieran Tierney Magnifique jingle, um, which ended up being uh, very popular indeed. Uh, yeah, really good goal in on his right foot. I was going to mention that one, the, the Saka goal, because of Smith Rowe's first touch which just makes it perfect for him to lay the ball out. I mean, there have been some good runs. I remember a very good Nicolas Pepe goal against Wolves, I think it was. It could have been a nutmeg or something involved in that one. Mm. Uh, that was a good one. I mean, the, the, the one he assisted with the nutmeg against, um, mm. Eddie against Sunderland last week for Eddie Nketiah yeah. was nice. I also the, really like... Um, I know there's a, an element of recency bias. Well, not necessarily recency bias. Just the fact that things have happened recently means I remember them, whereas a lot of 2021, I kind of don't. It's just sort of <laughs> blurred away into some uh, miasma of whatever. But Gabriel Martinelli's goal against Newcastle, I think the the pass from Tommy Asu is amazing. But I also think the finish from Martinelli is brave and just brilliantly executed the little volley beyond the goalkeeper who could and you know there would have been goalkeepers out there who would have gone a bit you know Schumacher Batiston on him and absolutely <laughs> fucking laid him out but he didn't care he was just going to score the goal and he did so that's the you one you could pick almost any of his goals recently the, the, like the one against mm. West Ham was lovely at the, right at the start of the second half um, and both of the finishes against Leeds were great as well he, he, he's just he's, uh, scoring regularly but scoring really really good goals as well yeah. and like on an emotional level all three goals against Tottenham um, at the at the start of the or sort of near the start of the season back yeah, in September of course um, every goal think, against Tottenham was a good one yeah, but all and all three of them were sort of like I say, we, we spent so much time lamenting sort of slow, ponderous football, and all three were really, you know, and, and Smith Rowe played a massive part in that foot on the accelerator kind mm. of goals, you know, breakneck speed, one end of the pitch to the other. Um, obviously, Saka's was assisted by Harry Kane as well, which adds a little something extra <laughs> to it. <laughs> um, yeah, so like on a on a very emotional level, uh, I think it would be unfair of us not to mention the three goals against Spurs. Yeah, and a couple of goals, a couple of goals against them back in March as well. But especially the three with the stadium full again. All right, uh, final one then. Give me a prediction for twenty twenty two. Uh, oh, how how bold do I go here? Is the, the is the, the question? The, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Arsenal will play in the Champions League next season. Wow, you went there. Yeah, went there. That's fair. That's cool. I admire the optimism. I admire the ambition. I'm not sure. I hope I'm you're not right. sure if I believe it. That's what predictions are supposed. You're supposed to kind of believe them yeah I know I know um, but I'd, I'd rather go with my, my heart over my head on this one um, okay so we'll be playing Champions League football again alright fair enough fair enough my prediction for 2022 is that Bakayo Saka will sign a new Arsenal contract oh that's a nice one yeah I just I don't know anything I got no inside information here but given that he is going to be two years out um, come next summer if 
the powers that be, if Mikel Arteta, if Edu, if Richard Garlick, if Josh Kroenke, if everyone at this football club is not absolutely single-minded in their determination to give Bakayo Saka A, the rise that he probably deserves at this point, and B, secure the future of uh, a young player who you know has still got loads and loads and loads to give uh, you know this is not like a 26 year old harry kane signing a six year deal somewhere i think getting 20 year old bakayo saka while he's in a team that is performing is growing where there seems to be a good togetherness among all the players there's academy graduates there's uh, england compatriots in the team with him and everything else like it should be not going to say it's easy, but the conditions are pretty much optimal to give him a new deal anytime from now. So uh, I assume it's not going to happen in the next 48 hours. So it will happen if it's going to happen at some point in 2022. So that's my one. Fingers crossed. Can I can I spring two quick sort of predictions sure. wrapped up in questions yeah, yeah. Uh, upon you? Um, will William Saliba play for Arsenal in 2022? You know... Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm beginning. Okay. I'm. I just. I. I've always been able to see a certain logic in what's happened with him, and I think one of the things that has made me a little more inclined to think that his future will be with us is that. Certain players that um, in the not-too-distant past, people said, well, Arteta hates him. Arteta doesn't like him. He do, you know, clearly he doesn't like Martinelli. He's a brilliant example of this, where everything Arteta said about Martinelli was, he's great, but he's got to be ready. And now he's deemed ready. He's in the team, and he's playing, and he's playing regularly. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a logic to sending a 20-year-old central defender out on loan. I, I, I still firmly believe there's a whole big story behind the scenes about the Saliba deal and about the money we paid and all of that, which is probably not great, you know? Uh, uh, But when you think about how you develop a young player, particularly a young central defender, like, it makes a lot of sense for him to go on loan and to get all these minutes for Marseille. And there were some quotes from him recently where he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, he was basically saying, this is great for me. You know, this is what should be happening. I think it's much better for Saliba to be out on loan with Marseille than, than not playing for us because, because we've got Ben White and Gabriel. But, you know, Arteta has shown that he is now willing to, to go a bit more uh, youthful, if you like. And also, I wonder if... When you're looking at your squad next season, you're thinking, well, who have we got to do the Tommy Asu role? Well, Ben White can do it if we need him to do mm-hmm. it. That means that we've got the potential to bring in Saliba as the first choice backup to Ben White. There are injuries, there are suspensions. I I was less confident about it, but my I would say yes. So there you go. And, I've and if we're that. in Europe, we will need the extra, of course. the little bit of extra. When we're in the Champions well. League, yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I read, speaking of the minutes, um, I think I did read this week somewhere that of under 21, it might be under 21 defenders in all of Europe, mm. like or the, the, the sort of main, the, the biggest five leagues, um, that William Saliba's played the most minutes of, of any under 21 or under 22 defender, something yeah. like that, in all of Europe. So uh, the, it's not like the loan's been worthless and he hasn't gathered experience yeah, exactly. and, and stuff like the that. The loan has so been maybe great. Maybe there's been time. It's been time really good. To work on his game, work on his English as well, which I know from when he was when he joined the club, he's, uh, I remember seeing bad. an interview and his English was, yeah, it was like all right, but mm. um, you don't know what it's like being on a football pitch and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so hopefully. I mean, look. The, the, let me just uh, add one more thing before your second one is that like I, I I think he's been good for Marseille but he's also had some games where things have gone wrong for him he's made a couple of mistakes you know he's been found wanting on a, a couple of goals here and there which is perfectly normal and perfectly natural when you're a young defender even when you're not a young defender but but making those mistakes somewhere else and learning from them and coming back to Arsenal better prepared, I think is a good thing because, you know, there would be a cohort of people that if he makes mistakes in an Arsenal shirt, they'd be like, well, you know, what's the fucking hype about? You know, it is that extreme yeah. view on, on footballers. So, you know, the fact that he's gone and done really well, but also had some moments where he is, you know, he'll be coached, he'll, he'll watch the videos, he'll learn from those mistakes. That comes from the playing time. So I think it's been, you know, I think it's been positive. I hope so. I hope. I, I yeah. do hope that you're right, and that and that he comes back and plays. Um, and uh, I, I don't think he'll be the answer to the other question I had. Who mm. will be the, or who do you think anyway will be the next permanent captain of Arsenal? Ooh. I'm assuming that in 2022 we will appoint one. I think you have to. Um. This is a really good question because you just can't give it to Shaka. You can't give it to him. <laughs> he is the obvious choice. He is the obvious he? choice. I get it. But I don't think you can give it to him because of everything. There's too much water under the bridge. Yep. I, I think it would, like the interview he did with Amy in The Athletic and he talked about, you know, we're never going to be best friends, but I feel a bit more from the Arsenal fans now than I did a couple of years ago, which is understandable. But I just wonder if it's a if it's a hassle that that he doesn't need, the manager doesn't need, the club doesn't need. I think one that none of them want as well at yeah. this point, just because of everything that's happened. So you're looking for somebody else. You're looking for somebody who's going to play regularly. You're looking for somebody, you know, Tierney or Odegaard. I think might be the ones. Yep. That's I. I if I had to like. Put a hundred quid on it now, I would say Odegaard. That's mm, yeah, yeah, yep. So it, yeah, it's interesting. It's that sort of uh, what probably Sesk is the only player that we've had that that sort of player mm. that's been the captain. Um, but there's there's no, yeah, I mean, maybe no reason it, that he, it there's could, no reason he can't be he captains his country. Yeah, could be, I mean it could be Ben White, it could be Gabriel, you know. I think they're trying to stress this leadership group thing, which goes against the idea of, you know, the the idea people have of a captain being this leader, this totem, this, this rock around uh, your team, around which it is built, you know? But we don't have that guy. 
We don't have no. the Tony Adams. We don't have the even the Patrick Vieira, who I think was a different kind of captain than Tony Adams. We don't necessarily have exactly that guy. So the idea of collective leadership, shared leadership, I know some people will scoff at it, but it's probably you know not a bad one in practice. And if you have a really obvious leader and captain that's there, you can build around that as well. But um, I, I don't know that we have that, but I do think it's going to be somebody who plays on a regular basis. Um, yeah, it, it's a difficult one to call. If it, it really it, is. If it can't be Xhaka, those are the two that yeah. do stand out, um, yeah. sort of beyond beyond him. And mm. Thomas Party doesn't seem like that sort of personality no, to, I don't think to be so. the captain, really. So th- those are the two that, you know, I would also say that it's between those two. Um, and then it's a bit of a coin toss. All right. Okay, well, look, we will leave it there for this particular uh, preview podcast. Uh, I'm going to say a few words after we finish. So for now, and for all your efforts in 2021, for the good, the bad, the ups and the downs, and we've had some ups and downs doing these shows, Lewis, thank you very much indeed. And uh, happy new year to you and yours. Thank you. And to you. Thank you to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose at LG Ambrose. Just wanted to say, um, as we're heading towards the final part of the final podcast of 2021, that, uh, you know, I know this has been a weird year for many people. It's certainly been a very weird year for myself. And um, I just want to take a moment to thank All of you who listen, but all of you who have been in touch over the course of this year after what happened uh, earlier in the year with my dad and another close family member passing away because of COVID-19, it has meant a lot to me. Um, Doing this has kind of kept me sane, um, even if the football and the football team and the football club have at times tested the limits of that. But doing this and doing this on a regular basis, having this routine where I sit down and just talk about football, it has helped me enormously. And you guys being on the other end of it, it means a great deal and has meant a great deal on a on a personal level this year. So thank you very much. And I know as well that there are many people out there who have similar stories from 2021 and have had things that they've had to deal with during this year, which have been unpleasant and difficult. And even if you haven't, 2021 and the ongoing situation we find ourselves in with this pandemic and the way that it impacts our lives, what we thought since the time we were born was normal is now not normal and it's hard to deal with. So regardless of whether or not you've experienced something difficult or not, the year itself just on its own has been tough. So I want to say thank you to you and to all of you out there for listening and for subscribing and for supporting what we do on Patreon. If you're listening on Patreon, thank you so, so much. Um, The things that we've been able to do with the website go pretty much ad-free, et cetera, et cetera, have been great. And I think it makes our blog better and it's down in no small part to you and the support that you give us. So thank you very much for that. But if you're a regular just Arscast listener, an Arsblog reader, know that we appreciate that uh, hugely as well. So I want to take just this moment to wish you and yours a very happy, but most importantly, a very healthy 2022 and let's keep fingers crossed that the next 12 months are are better for everyone for everyone
James and I will be here on Sunday after the Manchester City game, so join us for that. For now, that's it for 2021. I won't be sorry to see the back of this particular year, I can tell you that. And let's hope that we can kick off 2022 in style. Over to you, Arsenal. <laughs> let's see what happens. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you, and bye-bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.